podcasting from the world's most livable city, Melbourne. This is the Your Career Down Under Show, a podcast dedicated to help newly arrived skilled migrants and settled migrants with their career and employment issues. We interview recruiters, career coaches, HR experts and employers who share tips, techniques and insights to help you land a job quickly and rapidly advance your career. Good afternoon, Hi. everyone. This is Naishad Gadani coming to you from sunny Melbourne today. I'm the co-host of the Career Care Package uh, daily LinkedIn live show that comes to your LinkedIn screen uh, since March. And today is our 124th episode. On today's episode, we are talking about career pivot strategies. And we are also going to talk to Richard, who is our case study today. And we are going to talk about Richard's pivot to new careers uh, through volunteering. So before we bring uh, Richard on, uh, let's welcome Caroline Brown, the co-host of the Career Care Package. Caroline. Thanks, Nesh. And I have to say, I've just been giggling so much, my eyes are starting to water. So if you see me rubbing my eyes during this session, that's why. Um, Today, we've got Richard Howe on our show and absolutely delighted to have Richard. He's a very dear friend of mine. And the reason we're interested in talking to Richard is, is he's had a career pivot that's really interesting. And I know when people make a change or make a pivot, You can think about making a change, you can get counselling to make a change, you can write down your goals and plans, but that's actually where people get stuck. So I think it's going to be really interesting to talk to Richard about how he actually made that pivot or made that change um, through volunteering. But before I go into a big introduction, I'd just like to say welcome, Richard, to the show. Thanks, Carolyn. And Nash, it's um, it's lovely to be here, so I'm, I'm happy to help in any way. Excellent. So I'm going to dig into your brain and extract bits of bits Ooh, pieces okay. of it, display that for everybody to talk to. But I guess a great place to start. So, so you're now working in alcohol and drug counselling as a yes. support worker. But you I'm didn't glad you added counselling to that. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't mention that bit. <laughs> so, but, so I guess a, a good place to start would be really just to tell people about, you know, what you're actually doing now and... and what their job involves and what you actually enjoy about it. Sure. Um, it's uh, it, it, There is counselling involved. I mean, the, the job's um, called a, a, a AOD, which stands for Alcohol and Other Drug Support Worker. And I work in a withdrawal unit, which is um, up in the Heidelberg area of uh, Melbourne. And it's a 16-bed facility. So 12 of those beds are for um, adults. Um, and the other four beds are also for adults, but they're specifically, it's a mother-baby unit that was built about three or four years ago. So mm-hmm. it's for mums with young bubs, um, or it may in fact be mums who have literally just come out of hospital um, and they've just had a baby. Mm. Um, baby may be with them or may not be with them. Um, and it's a unit that has uh, nursing staff in it. It's a residential unit. so. People typically are there for between seven and 14 days, um, uh, literally going through a withdrawal process of uh, a substance. So that might be alcohol or something else. And my role there is uh, as a support worker is to support them through that um, program process and also to uh, help them with the process of looking at what their next steps will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and also facilitating um, daily lifestyle type activities like cooking and they, they actually look after the facility and uh, take care of their own needs quite independently as part of that process. So that involves cooking, you know, a bit of cleaning, that sort of stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so there's, there's that side of it. And then there's also a role there that's the education and activities worker. And that was initially what I actually applied for. Um, and uh, what it, and what I now do is I, effective, I effectively do that is on a fill-in basis. So uh, I'm actually doing that at the moment because one of those workers is away for about three months as a direct result of COVID. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm doing that sort of probably 60% of the time and the other 40% of my, my, um, my work time is the support worker role. Mm. And you asked me, I think, too, why I love it. Yeah. Well, what I enjoy about it. Yeah. It is far and away um, one of the best environments I've ever worked in. Yeah. Uh, as far as the you know the drug and alcohol sector, and what I love about it is there is such um, immediate and ongoing reward. Um, I get an enormous amount of job satisfaction uh, because there are so many opportunities in a given day where I'm helping somebody in a really significant way that to me seems really quite small, like mm. helping somebody to learn how to chop up a carrot or. You know, it could be that minor, but to them, they've never learned how to look after themselves or to cook. So mm. for them, it can be remarkably significant and it can be a, a step towards improving their self-esteem. Mm. So I, I just feel absolutely blessed and lucky to be in such an environment where that's kind of happening for me all the time. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I know we're going to talk a bit about it, but that's not where you started your career. So you, you, you started God, in... No. <laughs> so radically different from what, where you started. So maybe tell people about that journey, like what what, what sure. you changed from. Yeah, I, I never in a million years would have imagined myself working in the drug and alcohol sector if I, if I went back 10 years ago. My background before that was uh, administration, recruitment, customer service, and um I also worked for a, a health fund for about 10 years immediately prior to what I guess you would classify as this, you know, pivot process that I went through to change my career. Uh, and and there I had moved from customer service into corporate training. I'd started to realise that I was completely disconnected to all my passions. And, and one of my passions was um, um, uh, teaching people or, or, you know, the process of learning and helping adults. Uh, as, a, as a small kid, I'd wanted to be a teacher. And then seeing what I was like at school and, and the, the awful kid that I was, that completely put me off teaching. But I, I guess reconnected with that when I was at HCF and got an opportunity to move into their training department. Um, you know, the, the, the problems with it was, though, that I learnt an awful lot, but it, it was an, an, a large company, you know, thousands of people. You were training hundreds and hundreds of people every week. It felt it got to the point where it felt very much like you were part of a battery chicken farm and you just had to process people through um, training programs. You had to get an end result for them all the time. And and I rationalised the job satisfaction that I was, uh, often what I was doing was I was involved in helping them to learn their job in a call centre or learn their job in a branch. And I rationalised that I was helping them greatly go through that process. But the reality when I, you know, searched my soul was that I thought, you know, if you took me out of the equation, they would have ultimately learned how to do the job regardless. Mm. And so it just lost meaning for me. Um, and the other thing that happened was that I was actually sort of um, in a in quite a, a dysfunctional team. There was some dysfunctional uh, staff there and I was effectively bullied for about three years in that in that area and um, I ultimately just uh, had to get out of there it it did awful things to my self-esteem I found myself um, highly anxious and depressed Um, I went through quite a serious depressive episode and it you know and at the same time my parents were quite ill up in Queensland and it and that gave me a catalyst to just quit and get out of there um, but I guess one of the little light bulb moments that happened whilst I was there was there was a couple of people that I had to actually help because they were working in country branches and they had almost zero computer skills. And in fact, they were almost genetically phobic of a computer. Mm. And I was able to convince their regional manager to allow me to work with them for a few days and I kind of just winged it, but I worked through a process with them of trying to personally get them over that phobia. And it was mm. that one-on-one work that I did with them that actually became a real light bulb moment that I needed to be doing more personalised one-on-one um, help, adult mm. adult learning type help. Yeah. Can I ask you about that? Um, 
because I think sometimes we get signals that we ignore, right, or they don't mean anything to us at the time or we don't absorb them as single signals. So what actually helped, like what, what did that signal feel like for you with when, when you were helping those people? Yeah, it the level of satisfaction I got in that process, I, I just felt I, I was... If I, it's a really good question and I'm, I'm glad that you're kind of getting me to focus on that because when I think about it, it would have been in the middle of all that bullying process and it would have been in that, that middle of, you know, working 10 or 12 hour days and feeling incredibly stressed and feeling really bad about myself actually and having pretty poor self-esteem. But in the middle of all that, somehow I found the ability to connect with mm. those women and to identify with them, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I was their age and I could completely appreciate phobia of computers. And mm. I was thrown into an environment in that, in that training department where we had a room full of computers set up with printers where it was um, almost like a, a pretend branch where you would get 20, well, say 15 people in from all over New South Wales that had to be taught how to use those computers and print off documents for the the customer at the counter Mm. and at times those computers would crash and I was there and had to get it sorted because you couldn't just say can you come back tomorrow Mm. they'd flown in for a week of training so I could appreciate that phobia Mm. and to see the way in which I was able to or or they were able to sort of lower their anxiety levels and Mm. actually learn and that was a direct result of my input to the process. And that just blew my mind that I mm. thought, okay, right, that's what, um, that's where my passion for learning is. And that's, that's what I need to connect with. I need to find, I probably didn't think it at the time, but I, over time, realised I need jobs that have that in it for me, you know? Mm. Yeah. And what do I feel like to quit? Was, was there a, a <laughs> um, fantastic? Yeah. <laughs> it, the the good thing was that I did. Um, I think it was really important to my self esteem, and this can't always happen for people. Uh, but I did address some of those issues with the manager at the time. Mm. I got to the point where I was able to be assertive, and and made some points about what was actually occurring, and and then I realised that sh- they were not going to change. And so there was a comfort and a, and a quiet in me about the process of quitting. And, and it was almost like I'd resolved that side of things and I could now get out of there yeah. and, and and move on with things, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, it felt fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so just wanted to welcome Balin, uh, Usha, Amit and Poonam. You know, welcome to the show. And, for anybody else who's also listening or watching, if you got questions for for Richard or just to figure out, you know, because I think what Richard shared is that you know there are moments that happen that that really say that there's you know there's an opportune moment for us to change something, and grabbing that, understanding that, and not not you know kind of overlooking that emotion is also very important uh, in a part of the process rather than sliding it no 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 i, I don't think so that you know, there was just one one thing that i've learned one thing that i noticed what really makes me happy uh, and not overlooking that is is you know also incredibly uh, you know useful so Puram, we'll come to your question uh, you know as well richard you know, let's. You know, so did you did you just simply resign and then you decided that look, I'll, I'll probably now go and figure out what do I want. That's to do. exactly that what, what happened, do? and it's interesting. You know that that idea of sort of pivoting your career. I can tell you now, there was no pivoting going on at that moment. There was I'm I got to get out of here and I've got to run away as quickly as possible. And it was almost like I was running back to mummy and daddy. Like that's that's kind of literally what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was not in a good mental state, and so. I, you know, but part of that, that pro- the process too, I guess, is just recognizing that there ta- there's times when you just need to put down your tools and you mm. need to just have a breather. And, and I needed, you know, what we would now call self-care and mental mm. health time, you know, um, and that's what going up to Queensland did. And and the, the wonderful thing about it too was that I had, you know, parents that had 
done so much for me, you know, all through my life. This was now an opportunity to give back. And I, you know, um, I absolutely felt like, you know, I had to look at the positives and the positives absolutely were, this is a wonderful opportunity for me to give back. And I, it's not a bad thing that I'm physically removing myself from the city as well. And I'm going to a new city and it's, you know, in a lot of ways, this is now a new life effectively, or it was for me at the time. Um, and, and it was over a period of time that I then had to, you know, just sort of say to myself, okay, well, what are going to be the next steps? And I didn't feel comfortable, I've got to say, with just not working. You know, I had, I had had periods in my life where I had not worked for three or four months, and often they were actually mental health related, quite frankly. Um, but I, some, you know, over the course of probably the first three to six months, I then sort of started thinking, okay, well, I'm, I'm not in any state to take on paid employment, but I need to find a way where I can keep my finger in the pie of the work environment. And that's where volunteering came to me. And, and I, I don't exactly remember, but I would think somebody probably mentioned it to me at that time too, you know. It probably wasn't just out of my head. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, the whole adult teaching thing, I, while I had been at HCF, I'd, I'd done a degree in adult education, so I was qualified. Uh, and I was really interested. I've always been fascinated by um, social justice. It's a real um, hot button topic for me. Any sort of discrimination, um, you know, is uh, something that I'm incredibly passionate about. And I've always been interested in the process of refugees and migrants. And that's a, that's a passion that Carolyn and I share. And um, I was looking around at possibly working as you know, getting into maybe the TAFE system of helping migrants learn how to speak English, even though I didn't have a qualification in English. And so that's kind of what led me to be looking around Gold Coast TAFE. And that's when I discovered that they actually had a program there of volunteer tutors that helped in their literacy and numeracy department. And they took, they put you through a, a free six week course. And then you just, you were sitting in the classroom with another teacher, but you were just like a teacher's assistant effectively. And, and I found out that they did work in um, with special needs adults in literacy and numeracy. And straight away, I thought, bingo, that sort of sounds like something that's really meaningful and really personal, the sort of thing that I connected with. Mm. So I jumped into that and, and that gave me something to do while I was sort of dealing with other issues, you know, and looking after mum and dad. Mm. Um, yeah, and it then started to lead to a whole heap of other things. Yeah. So with the volunteering, so did that, again, how did you know that sort of that was the right, th the right thing for you to do at that time? Like what did that feel like for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know what? I think, I think sometimes, uh, for me anyway, you don't know it's the right fit. Mm. You just know it's different and you mm. know that maybe you need to give something new a go. You know, I, I was a 45-year-old um, you know, white male who had been used to full-time paid employment. And okay. uh, I had to do a whole mental shift about what job, work and career meant to me mm. and how that defined me. And um, so, I, you know, part of it was going through that process, but also it was just, um, you know, how did I know that it was the right thing to do or the right thing for me? It was the complete polar opposite of corporate training. So, mm. you know, it was the complete polar opposite of um, the environment that I'd come from that was quite dysfunctional. And what I was amazed at when I got into that environment, when you think about it, it's a group of teachers that work in literacy and numeracy and they work with special needs adults. Mm. So they tend to be community focused, I guess. They tend to me be the sort of people that are thinking about other people rather than themselves. And in that whole safe environment, for the first time in my life, I found myself surrounded by a group of people that were that were fairly regularly saying, "Great to have you here, Richard. Yeah, um, you're wonderful. You're great. We like mm. what you're doing." Even mm. when it was on a volunteer basis, and it wasn't that I hadn't worked in environments where people said, "Good job." Mm. But there's a difference between living almost with people that, oh, sorry, that's the wrong way to say it, working with people uh, that live that. Mm. They live that sort of yeah. thinking, you know? 
It's funny that you mentioned that because I had a very similar experience um, when I finished in my corporate job and I, I, I look back on it and I was low-level depression and anxious. I mm. anxiety as well, the way that that plays out for me is sort of my head goes around in circles and thought processes. But I volunteered at the Asylum Seeker Centre and it was in this um, terrace house in Surrey Hills and it was run down and people were working out of former bedrooms that had been converted to offices and everyone was in casual and people were really happy to have me there. And it was just nice mm. to see that work could be meaningful in a different context, but exactly what you're saying, people were happy to see me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. it's just a really great boost to... Absolutely, um, to your self-esteem. Yeah. And how you feel about yourself, and and you pick up on a really good point there too, Carolyn. Because I'm a I'm a massively p passionate proponent of uh, volunteer um, mm. work as a means to um, boosting your self esteem, keeping yourself in the in the um, job market, but also using it to pivot your career and you know what mm. we would now be pivoting your career. Um, and what I what I learnt from that process was that volunteering is almost unique in a lot of ways in that it puts you in an environment where because you're coming in and you're doing stuff for people for no money, mm. they are thrilled to have you there. <laughs> they are absolutely over the moon. They don't care about your other faults. They don't care if you don't <laughs> put the toilet seat down in the staff toilet, you know. They are thrilled to have you there. And, um, you know, if you're in a situation where you can't commit to being there all the time and you find, you know, you wake up and there's a day when you just can't face it, they're okay with you not being there because guess what? They weren't paying you anyway, you know? <laughs> so you, you have <laughs> so you, yeah. you have you have more control over the commitment that you give whilst you're in that volunteer situation. And, mm. and I think that's a really important part of it. But also what then also happens is they often bend over backwards as they get to know you to want to help you. Yeah. So if you get talking about what your interests are, what your passions are, why you're there, where you want to be, you find them helping you out. And, and I think a, a key thing that I would say to anybody um, that's looking at volunteering as a, you know, and one of the, one of the tips is that, um, and, and you know me, Carolyn, you know that um, I think it's really important to be um, comfortable talking about yourself. Mm. And uh, you know me, Carolyn, I'm very comfortable <laughs> talking about myself. <laughs> I know. But, um, <laughs> but you know what? If, if you're not, then then um, see that as or pivot it as talking about your passions. You know, most people can talk about their passions. And, um, you know, what I found was that all of a sudden um, I had um, uh, people in that work environment that I, I have a, a, a work mentor that I met while I was at TAFE that is still kind of like a work and career mentor mm -hmm. and um, we've stayed in touch and we catch up she's still up on the Gold Coast Jill uh, but she has been a passionate proponent of me and a backer of me and she's the one that actually asked me invited me to to start working as a TAFE teacher in um, uh, Mirakai which is the um, residential rehab unit or, or facility up on the Gold Coast. And mm. that was my first introduction to drug and alcohol work. And and I never in a million years would have thought of doing that. And I didn't even know that they were doing that as part of their programs. Mm. Um, and she saw something in me and she sort of said, you know, it takes a unique type of teacher to work in that environment. You need to have particular skills and personal attributes. And she basically just said, I think you have them. Mm. And that's why I want to put you in there. Mm. And so that, that was a wonderful thing, you know. And, and um, can I talk about some other volunteer work that I did that I yeah. think is really relevant to you? Yeah. Because at the same time, because I had that interest in, in the migrant area, I ended up, um, it just happened to be that there was a migrant centre below the main part of TAFE on the Gold Coast. And I was working at a completely different campus. I had not made that connection at all. But I, I don't even remember. I, I think I just Googled migrants and the Gold Coast and maybe work or something like that and came across this migrant centre. And I ended up volunteering there. 
And Anna, um, who manages that migrant centre, um, again, is somebody that I you know, still keep in touch with. And she became, became this amazing advocate for me. Um, she just bowled me over constantly where, you know, I, again, it was, they're so grateful to have you there helping out. Mm. And she just saw something in me. And I remember one day I walked into the office and she said, oh, my God, Richard, I'm so glad you're here. And she, it was almost like she was desperate. And she said, I've, I've got this meeting that I've got to go to and I need you to come along to the meeting. And, I, and, it's, and it's with the, um, the director of um, TAFE upstairs. She's the director of, you know, this particular um, division. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, and she talked about, I think she talked about um, it was either community, it wasn't community services, but I think it was literacy and numeracy and, or something like that. And I sort of thought, um, you know, why do you need me at that meeting? I have no expertise in what you're talking about. And so we trot upstairs, we get into this meeting and there's this woman there, Maxine, and, and Anna introduces me and she just says, you know, Maxine, this is Richard. Um, he's um, working with us, volunteering, and she gave me gave like a very brief little rundown of where I'd come from, and she just said, "But you know, and Richard is absolutely wonderful, and we're so lucky to have him. But I'm going to just let Richard tell you all about Richard." And so <laughs> she just she just brought me up there yeah. to put me in front of this director, who she knew was responsible for the English language program with migrants, and that's why she wanted me to meet this person. Mm. And uh, that person ended up becoming ultimately my boss through a different um, avenue. But um, yeah. yeah, so you know, having people around like that, it, it's it's a it's a really significant part of the volunteering process. Yeah, so she's sort of connected you to these people, and these opportunities came out of out of that. Did you Absolutely. have a question, Nate? Because I've wanted to stick another question in, or you? No, no, no. I just wanted to also, you know, a couple of things. Um, you know, one of my uh, you know friend who used to live in in Melbourne now is gone back to India. His wife never applied for a job, and always started to work in Salvation Army op shop. Um, did there for she's she's a you know trained doctor, but in Indian medicine, not the not the general mm -hmm. practice one. So she could not practice here, and she saw that my friend started to work. So she saw this opportunity went around and saw this opportunity to work in a Salvation Army. She said, "I'm not doing anything. I'll just start." Started work there for a couple of days. After um, you know, after three months, they gave her a you know casual role for one or two days that became permanent and in two years she became a store manager and i think after after one year she was managing two three stores did not even apply for a single job never prepared her resume at all uh, but but it's just that she she took the chance and i think volunteering is in my view is also that you know you don't know but you just have to take the chance you you got to start with something right you got to start yes. with you know maybe there's some interest here i'm 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 interested you know in education i'm interested in in migrants so let's let me marry this up and find out something that is more meaningful and you go in volunteering and that's you know richard or sort of you know also understand from you that you start volunteering not at all from that this is going to ultimately lead me somewhere you do it because 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 you feel right about it because you feel connected to it and last thing that i would say volunteering you know is something that i found very flavorsome in australia in india you know we do volunteering but that was around festivals or around religious events Okay. Uh, you know, obviously, it is it is becoming now. You know, a lot of mainstream now that they could teach India. A lot of other movements are happening. But when when I was there, I would volunteer because there is there is a festival there, and people need some some people to do things around, right? But I think in Australia only, I found that people are genuinely, you know, have a cause, one cause in their life. You know, maybe about breast cancer awareness or maybe about you know cancer maybe anything and i i find that so fascinating you know tell us about some of the other impact that volunteering had apart from the career you know about any other you know character building anything else that you kind of you know learned from it sure i think um well you know as you were talking about that i was sort of thinking of the phrase it sort of feeds your soul to do volunteering work and i think that's really important as part of your self-esteem 
and um, and, and as part of the self care of self, you know, the process of self care, it's about giving back. And you know, I think you get a lot. You actually get a lot from giving, mm. uh, but you have to be in a situation where you've looked after yourself enough, um, and you're looking after your own needs to be to be in a position to be able to authentically give. Mm. Um, you know, um, and and so it's a it's a it, it, it can be a complicated process, but um, when you're struggling, the other side of it, I guess, too, though, is when you're struggling to look after yourself, mm. to do what you ultimately need to do for yourself. Like I was with job and career, it's so connected to your self-esteem and your confidence, and I had no confidence. Mm. I was in no position to be putting myself out there looking for work because let's face it it's stressful even at the best of times to be looking for work to mm. get your resume together to to be presentable to go to an interview you can't help but you know feel at times that you're being judged and when you don't get the job you're being rejected and if your self-esteem is right down my god how could you possibly mm. consider doing that the nice thing about volunteering is that you just you're taking all that pressure off yourself there are very little, there's very little expectation mm. from the, the organisation. And, and if you think about it, you're, I think often there's less expectation on yourself as well. You know, mm. you can just sort of give it a stab, see how it goes. I'm going to do this because I know it is going to make myself feel better about myself because I'm, I'm giving. But I'm also, I mean, there's no doubt that I was, I was absolutely using it as a way to keep my finger in the job work environment and I absolutely had a passion and an interest in hopefully turning it somehow into a career pivoting it into you know work with migrants work with refugees now what changed that was when I went up to, for that meeting with Maxine and she I had already taken myself off down to Sydney for about a four to six week period and I'd done a course in, um, I think the Australian version of it is um, TESOL, teaching English as a second language. But I did the University of Cambridge version, version, which is just, it's the British version of it. And because I knew I needed some sort of qualification in how to teach English as a second language, I thought I, I have no qualification in it. I came back and so we, they took our money. We did the course. It was a wonderful course. But right at the end of the course, they then told us, yeah, by the way, there's kind of no work out there. <laughs> and I thought, mm, that wasn't in the brochure. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, my, we all felt the, exactly the same way. There was about eight of yeah, us in the my. class. We all thought, are you serious? You're telling us that on our last day, you know, you've called it career opportunities and you're basically saying there are no career opportunities. But thank you, you know. Anyway, well, I get back up to the Gold Coast and I'm in front of Maxine and Maxine basically said, yeah, there aren't a lot of career opportunities. And and to be able to do that work, I would have actually needed to go and get another qualification. And I just thought, you know what, I've just got to call it quits on that as an option. You know, that's just not going to work. But the good thing was I'd already been introduced to the whole special needs area and literacy and numeracy there and I was really enjoying it. And at one point, I was um, asked if I could just sort of do a bit of volunteer work too with um, three guys that they brought down from a rehab uh, up on the in the hinterland called um, Fairhaven, and they couldn't read at all. And particularly, there was this middle-aged guy that was a little bit older than me that literally could not read or write. And I spent quite a bit of time with him over the course of the next two or three months. And I had to just kind of wing it and sort of think, okay, well, how am I going to help him? And I don't want to treat him like he's a five-year-old. I'm sure that's the, you know, you don't want to start getting kids, you know, kindergarten books out. That's going to patronise him. So I basically just said, why do you want to learn to read and write? Um, and he, his answer was quite surprising. He said, um, well, for me anyway, he said, I just want to be able to read the newspaper because all my mates read the newspaper and I can't talk about the things that they're talking about. So for him, it was about social connection. It wasn't about getting a job or, you know, I just assumed there was a more lofty goal, but there wasn't. And so we just, um, I taught him through the newspaper. Mm. And to be perfectly honest, I grabbed a newspaper that would be the equivalent of, I don't know, I'm, I don't want to offend people down here in Melbourne, but it was, it, there was the Gold Coast version of the one that was ranty 
and very um, um, it was almost like the Pauline it was almost like Pauline Hanson had written the newspaper <laughs> um, you just and, deleted the pain bits yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was written in in very simple terms and that's what he needed mm. he needed small words you know um, simple um, to the point you know and, and that worked for him yeah. So, um, yeah, so um, um, it, it just ends up taking you in, in all different directions. Mm. Um, and what I was just going to quickly add was there was a, I ended up with a, a job out of that whole process of uh, even though uh, the migrant side of things had been, um, uh, you know, closed off. One of, I got to know some of the other women that did the volunteer tutoring course at TAFE and none of them in fact there was a group of about 10 or 15 of us and i was actually funnily enough the only one that ended up volunteer tutoring everyone else ended up getting work in other areas so they didn't end up having to do volunteer work they just got paid work or they just decided not to bother um, but there was one woman that ended up working for a mining company on the gold coast called minerals technology and they produced a whole lot of separation machinery for separating ore and all that sort of stuff. And she, I'd kept in touch with her. She became this, you know, lifelong friend. And uh, there was a group of us that used to go out and hang around socially. And she knew that I'd done this course in teaching English as a second language. And they had a French, um, kind of like a robotics engineer there, but it wasn't robotics. It was just machinery. And his job was to go into the factory and talk to Aussie workers in a noisy factory and find out what was wrong with the design of the machinery so that he could redesign the machinery. And the problem was he had a thick French accent. <laughs> and he was he was very disliked in that factory because they could he wasn't dinky die and they couldn't understand him. And he was asking all these weird questions. But the main thing was they couldn't understand his English even though we were speaking English. So she asked me if I wanted to come in and um, get paid to teach him to lose his French accent. So it wasn't to really teach him English. It was to teach him how to not speak like French English, <laughs> to sound a bit more dinky die. So and I, that wasn't really part of the, the course that I did. So, um, but I thought, oh, what the hell, I'll give that a stab. That kind of sounds like fun. And so I then had to go home after I'd had a meeting with the manager and I'd had to pick an hourly rate out of my head and, you know, <laughs> probably sold myself short. But anyway, I had to then go home and Google, why do <laughs> French people who speak English have trouble being understood or something like that? <laughs> I just had to Google it. I thought, I have no clue why that, you know. And I, had, I read all this stuff about it was the, it was the sounds in English that we make that are not present in French. Mm. And for that reason, they we do things with our mouths and our tongues that they don't do when they're speaking uh, the language. And that was why they have a lot of trouble. And apparently out of, of most of, of all the European, Western European um, languages, it's French that have the most trouble getting their tongues around English. Mm. And so, yeah, I just sort of Googled it and printed some stuff off and kind of <laughs> winged it did that, did that for a few months and kind of got away with it <laughs> bluffed my way through but his his accent did kind of disappear yeah but the problem was he didn't practice it his english was amazing he was pretty much self-taught and his grammar and all that there was it was faultless almost it was just the fact that he had an accent but the, the really funny thing was that the, these women that had kind of, that I used to catch up, she went, you know, when they found out that I was going to be doing that as a job, they said to me, don't get rid of his accent. That's what makes French <laughs> men sexy. <laughs> Rich, I want to sort of pull out a few themes actually from stuff that you've been talking about, about like how sure. to make the most of that volunteer experience. And one of them, I think you keep referring to catching up and, you know, um, making friends and that type of thing. So it sounds like building those those relationships. But then also from what you've just said, just having a go at something, like coming from the mindset that you, well, I can't do it now, but I probably can do it, so how do I make it happen? Would they be two things that have been really important in making oh, the most of your experience? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, totally. Those two things are so a part of it, you know, and... Yeah. 
it's about making those connections and um um you know and i think that's what that's what's so great about volunteering it makes that connection process easier because like we've already said you walk in the door and they already love you yeah. <laughs> wow here's a here's a here's a you know piece of meat effectively that we haven't had to pay for that can do work you know <laughs> here's a slab or whatever you want to call it you know um uh and so they are they're thrilled to see you and they're thrilled to have you there and it and that tends to just uh drop that you know it, it means that building rapport is easier you know um and obviously ultimately they've still then got to want to continue to connect with you but you know that's just it makes it a lot easier and i've forgotten what the other point was that you wanted to pick up on yeah just about being able to because I, I, I remember my first experience of volunteering was teaching asylum seekers a computer, but I quickly segued that into writing um, ministerial applications and letters and doing advocacy yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. My experience in that. So I guess, yeah, I was just thinking, reflecting with your experience about teaching a French guy how to sound less French. I mean, yes. You had to teach yourself that first. So I did. I did. Yeah. And you know what? I've got to admit, you know, the first one of the first things that went through, through my mind was, uh, one, how the hell am I ever going to do that? I've got no clue how to do that. But also I thought, number two, this is going to make a really good dinner party story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had whether it works or party. not, whether it works <laughs> or not, like who the hell has a job doing that, you know? So, um, yeah, no, but it is, it is so much about just, and I must say that I think that's one of the strengths that I'm very lucky to have had for a long time. I've, I've recognised that um, all of your growth is often not when things are going smoothly. And, mm. and the process of jumping in and just giving something a go, even though you're sitting there thinking, part of you is thinking, I could stuff this up so easily because I really don't know what I'm gonna, how I'm going to do it. But you know what? That, you can turn that around to this is a great opportunity and it, there is a pleasure in um using your curiosity to discover and work out how you're going to do something and and a big part of that too is i've i've never been good at um um uh, asking for help or accepting help and i had to learn i've had to over the years learn to be more accepting of that and and um uh, a psychologist years ago once said to me you know, Richard, you know, um, you've got perfectionist tendencies and you want to be good at everything. Sometimes being really good at something is is employing the person that's really good at it or getting help from the person that's really good at it. That's you being smart, pulling a, together a group of people that, that in a combined way can do a far better job than any one of you could. And I thought that they're really wise words and I kind of held on to that. So... Yeah, it's about accepting that help, and um, that's certainly what I've had, and that's helped so much in the past few years that I've got people, I've found these mentors and I've identified them, and when they've, um, or, or just people that have sort of thrown this new idea at me, you know, of a new job option or a new volunteering option, I've just sort of, sometimes I've absolutely said no, because I knew it didn't suit me. I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, but an example of that too was uh, at TAFE, I got offered, it was the first time that I got offered sort of um, a, con a contract of full-time work. Before that, it had been casual. And it was almost what all the teachers had to do. If you wanted to end up working with the special needs adults, you had to work with the 15 to 17-year-old disenfranchised disillusioned youth that had either been bullied at school or were the bullies and they were now doing their year 10 equivalent at TAFE and so I did that for I think it was about three months it wasn't any longer than that because I knew that that's what I had to do to get to where I wanted to be but my god that was so not the right job for me mm. I just could not really relate to 15 to 17 year old kids mm. And so I had to get out of that, but I gave it a go mm. and doing it told me that, no, it wasn't for me. And that's okay. That's okay mm. to kind of identify that, okay, that's, I now I know 
that I can't do that. And I think one of the important parts of that is just to, to have a bit of introspection and say, okay, why wasn't it good for me? So identify the characteristics of it that don't match what you need or who you are. And then obviously next time, make sure that you're avoiding those things. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Richard, look, it's been fascinating to to pick up the story because, uh, you know, I think there are, you know, in these times, I think many people are looking at different ways to really find some meaning, really find some purpose because, you know, it, you know, it is difficult time. I was listening to a presentation today that said that effectively right now there are 1 million people who are unemployed and 500,000 is, you know, is purely just because of the impact of COVID-19. Now, these numbers are absolutely mind-numbing. When I, you know, I knew, but when you listen to it again, you know, it, it just, you know, it just hard goes out to people who are really doing it very, very tough. And the idea of sharing Richard's story was to was to give, you know, listeners another perspective on what can be done to help you to to spark some interest, you know, to to think a little bit more differently about your career. You know, it's not necessarily that you will, if you start to work as a, you know, as Poonam is saying, Poonam is working, you know, in volunteering work, you know, it's not Poonam just about that whether you work in IT, you know, whether your vocation is IT, you don't find any spark, anything else from any other dimension. I think that is also a pitfall that we get into. And, and you do volunteering, as I really love what Richard said, is that you're feeding your soul. If you're really enjoying that work, you're in this moment, I'm pretty sure I have experienced you know, spark of imagination if I'm involved into something that I really enjoy, you know, whether that is just to play cricket with my son for one hour, but I'm I'm constantly thinking about various things that is coming to my head. And I think I think that is very, very important for us, you know, is the is that we got to allow ourselves to submerge into something which is which is more powerful than us and you know and take that to the close you know just just go with the process you know richard so again richard thank you very much and i can i can confirm that what richard was drinking was tea uh you know was not <laughs> it's iced tea yeah, it's not alcohol <laughs> <laughs> can i can i is it okay if i just very very quickly touch on something that that you've brought up there nash because i think there's a there's a, another element to it as well sometimes the volunteering work or the casual work um, can be about just exposing yourself to an area that you're not comfortable with, where you know that it would be valuable to develop some skill or knowledge. And, and where I think that happened for me was actually with Carolyn and myself. Um, you know, I've known Carolyn for a lot of years and, and she could see what was happening for me during this period. And she actually asked me if I wanted to get involved in doing a bit of writing for her. And I and I can't remember, Carolyn, what you call it, but you've also always got this very um, important sounding title for what I was doing. <laughs> but I was basically just writing a few blogs, you know. <laughs> I can never bloody bloody well remember what you used to call it, you know. But <laughs> I just used to call it writing a few blogs, you know. But it but it, ex it exposed me to social media. It exposed me to the internet in ways that I'd never been exposed before, and um, it. And I just thought I've got no clue about all that, but I know that that's a really useful skill to have, you know. And so that was—it wasn't volunteer work, but it was it, for me. It almost felt like I was helping out a friend as well, you know. Um, and yeah, so so that was um, that was another aspect to it. Mm. And it's funny with that, I have to say, damn you, but you wrote the most popular, <laughs> the most popular <laughs> article on my blog. I'm like. God, I was wondering that. how long it would take you to mention that. <laughs> exactly. I'm loving that now, but it still gets views. And in fact, I have to say something about that. Richard wrote this article about getting a job in the mines when everybody wanted to get a job in the mines without experience. And that article, like, might have been six or seven years later, an SBS journalist picked that up up that article and rang me and said, oh, could I speak to Richard Howe who wrote that article? <laughs> and then you got interviewed for it. So, oh, um, yeah. but seriously, this is, you know, an example of put yourself out there and see, see what happens and you never know 
what comes. So Richard's yeah. not writing on my blog. I've put an end to that now. No, no, <laughs> like I'm but, but that's interesting too, Carolyn, because I had no understanding or knowledge about that, but I happened to have a nephew who was working in the mines. So yeah. I interviewed him and that's that was the basis for that whole article. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. sometimes it's just about someone you happen to know. It's yeah, got exactly. nothing really to do with your job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and Carolyn, you're welcome. <laughs> oh, didn't I say thank you? I yeah, I, I think you're welcome because I think I just I, I propped up your entire um, business, oh, didn't okay. I? <laughs> We're just going to shut this conversation down now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. No, it's been fun to have you on, and yeah, thanks for joining. And so. Um, Tomorrow we're talking to a guy that is around making genuine connections with people and he has this TEDx talk and one of the things that stood out to me on his TEDx talk which was you can only have mind share when you have heart share and so we're talking about that in the context of creating genuine connections in your career. Um, so that should be a great chat that we've got coming up. So if you like what you see, please subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. If you're watching on LinkedIn, if you can follow the hashtag career care package. And Naish, I'll um, throw back to you to do the sign-off. Excellent. Thanks again, Richard, for coming along and you know sharing your uh, you know insights around volunteering. So tomorrow we are talking to Rick Rushton. If you've not watched it, I highly recommend you go and watch his TEDx talk, which is very, very insightful talk and he's uh, you know I've, I've you know been uh, after him to come on, our, come on our show and he's agreed to that and we are really looking forward to a fantastic uh, you know perspective around making connections just not about networking but making real powerful connections don't miss uh, the talk tomorrow 3 p.m melbourne time and if you are in melbourne please make sure that you mask up if you want i can show you that now we've got our own masks called optimism <laughs> rocks so so if you you know we, we will do a you know, kind of a what we say a competition on friday the base question will get a mask from us uh, you know and uh, no we are really looking forward to catching up with rick tomorrow and uh, you know if you are in melbourne please don't forget to put your mask on if you're anywhere else uh, please look after yourself and your family and we'll see you tomorrow bye everyone everyone thanks bye-bye thank you everyone for listening to the your career down under show hope you enjoyed today's episode if you want to know more about how your career down under can help you please reach out to us on www.yourcareerdownunder.com.au and if you have got a question about today's episode or if you want us to do a particular show on a particular topic, please reach out to us. We would love to do that. Until next time, be well.